number 6. 2 Samuel chapter number 6. As we continue in the life of David. The Bible says, 2 Samuel chapter 6 verse number 1 again. David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baaliel of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah in Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before uh, the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord with all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Para Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And we'll end the reading there uh, tonight. But let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we consider this text. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and once again we just thank you for the privilege of being in your house, Lord. And I just pray that you would meet with us tonight, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would allow, that you would speak to us from the word, Lord, and that you would just uh, meet with us in a special way, Lord. We just pray for you to work tonight. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title tonight is The Tragedy of Seeking God Your Own Way. The Tragedy of Seeking God Your Own Way. We all have certain ways of doing things. We, we all have certain ways of doing things, and sometimes we have reasons. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't know why we do certain things certain way. The story is told of the new wife who was... Uh, preparing the Sunday roast the way that she had seen her mom prepare it and the way she'd seen her grandma prepare it. So she was preparing it there, and uh, she took the roast, and she, uh, just her and her husband, so it was a little roast, but she cut it in half, and she seared off the one part and uh, baked, it for, baked it in the oven, and then she took the other half and seared it off and baked the other half in the oven. And her husband is, staying here, is standing there watching her, and it's taking her twice as long as he thinks it should take as he's uh, watching her roast one half of it and roast the other half of it. And as politely as he can, he begins to ask, Honey, why do you... And this is not a story of me and Jesse or anything. Uh, uh, <laughs> just wanted to clarify. Uh, but he asked her, Honey, why do you do that? Wouldn't it be simpler if you just roasted the whole thing at one time? 
She looks at him and goes, I don't know. That's the way my mom always did it. And so she calls up her mom and goes, Mom, why do we cut the roast in half and roast it half at a time? She goes, I don't know. That's the way my mom always did it. And so they call up Grandma. Grandma, why, do you, why did you cut the roast in half and roast it half at a time? Well, there were so many kids and my oven wasn't big enough. I had to roast half of it and then the other half so that um, it would fit in the oven. So the wife went to roasting the whole thing at one time, but she was doing just what she had seen. She was doing what she was just used to doing, and she really didn't know why she was doing it that way. Sometimes we know, and we're able to say, why I do, there's a reason why I do it this way. There's a reason, uh, there's uh, instructions, there's principles why I accomplish this thing. But sometimes we drop into default mode. Sometimes we just do things the way we're used to doing things, do things the way we've seen someone else do things. And that may not be as big a deal if you're working with the Sunday roast other than it might take a little more time. But it, when it comes to serving God... And when it comes to seeking after God and knowing God's presence, we better be able to know why we do something. We better be able to know that we're doing it the way that God has commanded us to do it. Because if we uh, attempt to serve God just the way we're always used to doing it or the way we've seen other people do it, though God does give us godly examples and we can follow those examples. I'm thankful for my parents. I'm thankful for my grandpa and grandma who have uh, served the Lord all their lives and have set a godly example. And sometimes, uh, why do you, well, that's the way I was taught and that's the way I, tra I was trained and there's biblical reasons uh, that back that up, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor my parents and I'm going to honor uh, the, uh, what the investment that I have received uh, from Heartland Baptist Bible College and some of that. But when it comes to serving God, we better be able to know that we're serving God the way the Bible says so. And that we're serving God God's way. Because that's what, that's what we're dealing with here in this text tonight. And there's two parts of the story. And thankfully, we're going to see next week that David does get it right and that David does uh, deal with it. But we have to understand this. We need to serve God His way because God cannot bless when we're seeking, even if we're seeking Him. God cannot bless if we're not seeking God His way. All right? God has established, just a little bit of review to get a run-up at it, God has established David as the king over all Israel. Okay, If everybody says amen and goes with me, we're going to go a lot quick. Just, just remember, right? Second uh, Samuel chapter 5, uh, God uh, gave David the ability to take the city of Jerusalem. Okay, That was a stronghold of the old inhabitants of the land that had been there for hundreds of years. And God had told Abraham... This land belongs to you. This land belongs to your descendants. And yet uh, the children of Judah had not been able to drive out the Jebusites. And the children of Benjamin had kind of left them just sit there in the land. And they continue worshiping their pagan gods. And they had continued uh, just uh, being a thorn in the flesh to the children of Israel. And David came and God gave him the ability 
to capture that stronghold. God gave him the ability to remove that old problem so they could, and David set that Jerusalem as his new headquarters, and it was called the city of David. Then the Philistines came up. They attacked David twice in the valley of Rephaim, right? They came up, they spread themselves. It was almost within sight of the city of Jerusalem, and David said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He sought the Lord's leadership. God told him what to do. He obeyed. The first time he went straight up against them, God broke forth upon them. God's uh, power won the victory there for David that day. Then the Philistines came up again. By the way, serving the Lord, there's going to be battles and there's going to be more battles. There's going to be struggles and there's going to be more struggles. And David did what he needed to do. He didn't say, well, God did it this time uh, that way, so that's, we're just going to do that again. No, he sought the Lord. The Lord blessed because David sought his leadership. And David sought God's leadership again, and God said, no, wait a second. How about we go around this time, and, and you wait behind them, and you wait till you hear the sound of marching, here till you see the, hear the sound of going in the tops of the trees, and then go out because I'll be going before you. And God went before uh, David, and uh, God won the victory there, and God um, gave David some security in his kingdom, right? Um, in those days when they, they beat back the enemy, they defeated him twice, there's casualties. There's, uh, it's not able to re, uh, replenish their armies the way that they could before. And so uh, the Philistines have been subdued for a, uh, for a time at this point. They've been pushed back out of um, Israel's territory. And so God has established the kingdom by giving David security, by uh, giving them um, safety there in the kingdom. But not only that, God sent Hiram, king of Tyre, who sent uh, great resources and helps to David to build his house and build a house for David fit for a king so that David was able to look and say, look what God has blessed me with. And God has blessed me with this so I can serve the people of God and so I can do what God has called me to do. Let, let me put it this way. David's making progress. Okay, there's, there's improvements in David's uh, situation, in David's ability to be king. Things are moving forward. He's, he's growing in his faith in the Lord. He's seeing the Lord work in his life. There's more areas that are coming under the control of the people of God. Enemies are being pushed back. Victories are being won. David's making progress. Okay? By the way, God wants to see make progress in our lives. He wants to see us move forward for Him. He wants to have more areas of our life that's under His control. He wants to give us victories over old habits. He wants to give us victories over new problems. God wants to work in our life. And if we'll seek His leadership and we'll follow it, God will do it. And God will bless so that we can continue to serve Him. So David's making progress. Amen! Praise the Lord. This, this is good. But that is not the end. Okay, Making progress and getting victory over this and getting victory over that, that's not the end of all ends. That's not the end goal. Well, I, I got victory over smoking. Let's just put that uh, over this or over that. I got victory over that. Praise Well, God wants to give us victory over that so we can continue to draw closer to Him. God wants to give us victory over different things so that we can walk with Him closer and know Him better. 
There, there's something else than just not doing that or doing this to sustained progress. Well, what is the answer to that? What is the answer to continuing to walk with the Lord? It's seeking the presence of God. It's not only getting victory, but developing our relationship with God. And that's what we have here in 2 Samuel chapter 6. David calls Israel together and said, yes, we've won the victories here. We're being established. This is good. But if we're going to continue to move forward, what we need to do is we need to seek God. We need to put God at the center of what's going on in the kingdom. It's not, it's not enough just to seek God when there's problems. We need God at the center of every part of our life, every day of our life. It's, how many times do people pray when something bad's going on? Right? Oftentimes that's the only time people in our world will stop uh, and they'll seek God. Uh, something bad's going on. Preacher, let me get back to church. Something bad's going on. But rather, we need God every day of our life. And so as the new king, David says, I want to establish our kingdom. I want to move forward for that. We need to put God first. We need to get the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, now, if you want to know about the Ark of the Covenant, I think there was an Indiana Jones movie years and years ago. That's not going to help you at all. Okay, just, just saying. I, I, I haven't seen it. I have no idea. Just, just for clarity and somewhat of a humor sake. Well, what is the Ark of the Covenant? What, what was that? What does that symbolize? Why was David wanting to seek the Ark of the Covenant? Well, he says right here in the text, okay, the uh, end of verse number 2, uh, bring up from thence the Ark of God, whose name is called by the name of... Of the, Lord, um, of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. Okay, God at Mount Sinai had given Moses the pattern to build the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was built after the pattern of something that's in heaven. We don't know exactly what that is, but it was a representative, representation, excuse me, of the very throne of God. And the Ark of the Covenant was a special box that was made out of a wood that we don't know exactly what it was, but it was a special wood at that time. They made it out of wood. They covered it in gold. They put cherubims or angelic beings that came up and they touched their wings over top of that. And then in the center of that, there was what was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat was made out of pure gold. And it was, um, it was the place where the sacrifices, the blood was offered there on the Day of Atonement. And I'm getting ahead of myself real quick. Okay, but they made, they made this box that was to uh, be in the most holy place in the tabernacle. There was the tabernacle that was set up. Uh, we did a Sunday school series over the summer that we went through each piece of the tabernacle and kind of covered that. Uh, but it was the place that God said, there I will meet with you. Over and over again, God told his people at Mount Sinai, it's in the tabernacle, I'm going to meet with you there. And the symbol of God's presence was the Ark of the Covenant. God did not dwell in the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, It wasn't God's actual throne. It wasn't God. It was a symbol of God's presence. And wherever the ark, wherever Israel went, the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to go. And wherever the Ark of the Covenant was go, God was saying, that's where I am. That's where my presence is. Within the Ark of the Covenant, 
there was the two tables of stone that God, uh, the law of God that God had uh, etched out with his own finger. The law of God was placed in there. And then also the mercy seat was the place of sacrifice. I mentioned this, but on every sacrifice did not go there. But on the Day of Atonement, the feast that is now called Yom Kippur um, in our society, that feast, every year on the Day of Atonement, the priest would offer a sacrifice first for himself, and then he would offer a sacrifice for the people, for the sins of the people, and the blood would be brought into that holy place, and this is the only time that, a, that anyone could enter the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, only the high priest could enter that place, and he could not enter without blood. He had to enter with the blood of the sacrifice, and he would fill the room with the smoke. He would pull the veil, smoke of the incense. He would pull the veil back, and he would sprinkle the blood seven times. He would close the curtain for his own sins, and he would get the blood for the sins of the people. He would approach, fill it with uh, smoke of the incense, sprinkle it seven times again, and then he would go out. And that's the only time that someone could come into that. And it was a symbol of when God's presence was looking down at his people, because the the cloud during the wilderness, the cloud of fire at night, the cloud of uh, uh, the presence of God during the day, the cloud, the pillar of fire by night, uh, was over the mercy seat. And when it looked down at God's people, it looked down at the blood that was sprinkled on there, and God said, I can dwell with my people because the sin has been covered by the blood of the sacrifice. I can be there. And there's so many pictures of the grace of God. There's so many pictures of the forgiveness of God, of the Word of God. It was the place that if you were going to spend time with God, that's, God said, you're going to approach to me through this. By the way, anybody just couldn't do that. Only the priest could enter the tabernacle. Only the high priest could enter the most holy place without blood. And, and not without blood. By the way, that's why Jesus Christ is called our high priest. Because he's entered the throne room of heaven with his own blood. And he has sprinkled his blood so that there is eternal forgiveness of sins. So that now the way is opened unto God. Because the final sacrifice has been offered. Okay, I could keep preaching on that the rest of the night. But okay, uh, there's, th that was the... Ark of the Covenant. It had the Word of God. It was the place of reconciliation. It was the place that was said, this is where I rule from. It was the place of God's throne and God's presence. But during the reign of Saul, the Ark of the Covenant had been neglected. In fact, if we go all the way back into when Samuel first became the prophet and the judge of Israel. Because Eli and his sons were not living for God. Israel was in battle with the Philistines and they were losing. And uh, they said, let's bring up the Ark of the Covenant so that God's presence will be here. Treating it like a trinket. Treating like they had this a good luck piece that was going to bring them victory and bring them the presence of God. And the Philistines defeated them and the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. And they took it on around of the city, uh, around the cities of the Philistines. And God demonstrated to the Philistines who was that He was still God and He was still in control, and He judged the people of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, "We don't want this anymore. Send the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel." And so they loaded it up and they sent it back to Israel, and it went into the house um, in First uh, Samuel, and then in. Uh, um, 
First Chronicles is called Kirjath-Jerim. It's the same area. It's about 10 miles northwest of Jerusalem. It would uh, be right on the border between Judah and Benjamin, real close to the area of Gibeah. Uh, Gibeah would be the uh, neighborhood or township, maybe, that that was in the, uh, the larger area. And it had stayed there most of the time of Samuel. It had stayed there the entire reign of Saul. Once Saul is mentioned of having sought to the Ark of the Covenant, he said, bring hither the Ark of God, we're going to seek, we're going to seek God's face. And that was because he was in trouble and he needed an answer. And that was five to eight years before David was born was the last time that Saul even mentioned the Ark of the Covenant. The rest of the reign of Saul, it had stayed there at this house. Nothing had happened. And is not Saul's reign, um, did not that demonstrate the effects of not having the presence of God? Uh, what, what a life looks like, what things happen when God is not at the center and when you're just kind of doing your own thing. If you've been with us, Saul was... He had some problems. He had some uh, serious ramifications, and it wasn't because he was not saved. It wasn't because he was not child of God, but he was not living for God. And he had told God, no, 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 I'm going to do it my way. And he didn't seek after God, and he didn't have God's presence, and he didn't have God's leaderships. In fact, uh, the verses there, we won't turn for time's sake, I encourage you to read it. First, uh, First Chronicles chapter 13, David would say, we sought not after the Ark of the Covenant in the days of Saul. We, we didn't seek the Lord the way we were supposed to in the days of Saul. And so uh, we need to have, if we're going to move forward for God, we need to have God's presence. We need to put God first. Amen, right? I mean, can we say this? David has the right desire. He wants to put God first. This wasn't about David. This wasn't about uh, David's kingdom. He said, we're establishing a new, uh, new headquarters here. We're establishing a new capital city. And God needs to be at the center of it all. My desire is for this reign to seek God and seek God's presence. And what we desperately need is God's, God's blessings upon us. He has the right heart. He has the right motives. He's not seeking this for himself. He's seeking this for uh, God, and he's seeking this to help his people. He, he wants God's, uh, God's blessings at the presence of his kingdom, in, at the center of his kingdom. There's an emphasis on the name of God here, the, the, the name of the Lord of hosts. By the way, the Lord of hosts has this idea, the Lord of everything. Okay, not only does it apply to uh, Lord of Hosts, sometimes the, the host there is referred to armies, it's referred there to angels, it also refers to the host of the stars and the sun and the moon, and so by calling him the Lord of Hosts, David is saying, the Lord of everything, the Almighty God, the all-powerful God, we need that God in our life. David had a desire for God. Psalm 27, verse number 4, he would write, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in His temple. One thing have I desired. David was seeking after God. Often he would write, my soul thirsteth for God. I, I'm longing for God. I, I want to know God better. I want God's presence. I want God's blessings on my life. 
Amen. He had the right desires. He had the right motives. He, he knew what needed to happen. And God did, and David didn't just desire this. Oh, this would be so nice if the Ark of the Covenant would just float down out of the sky and kind of sit here at Jerusalem. No, he said, well, what do we need to make this happen? We, we need God's presence. We want to seek the Lord the way that Saul did not. We want to seek the Lord. And so we're going to make that happen. He gathered Israel together. Okay, before emails and before cell phones, um, that was quite a task. That's sending messengers out. That's sending all kinds of things to, to help make that happen. He doesn't gather just two or three people. Hey, we're going to have a party. No, he gathers 30,000. Okay, so this is a, from all over Israel. So this is a, a large collection of people. This is a, a massive movement of people that are coming there for this purpose. David brought a new cart. He brought a new cart that he built. He brought, um, I, I have to imagine that this was an impressive cart. Uh, this was prepared for this occasion and that the oxen weren't ones just randomly pulled out of the field, but this was something that was uh, set for this occasion. It was something that was purposeful. It was something that, just in my mind, that was, it, it says a new cart here, so there was some preparation that went into this. They brought out the best instruments they possibly could to sing and to, to praise the name of God. And the Bible says there that they played before the Lord. The idea of that is they were singing. They were uh, playing instruments with songs. By the way, anytime the worship of God is going on, music is involved. Music is part of our worship to God. It's part of how we praise the name of God. And so uh, they, they set, verse number three, they set that ark upon the cart. Verse number four explains a little bit of what, of what happened. They, they brought it out of the house. They put it there on that cart. Uh, Ahio went before the cart to kind of lead the way. Uh, Uzzah, or Uzzah is there behind kind of walking with the cart or getting things organized. They only have a short journey to go, uh, uh, seven or eight miles. And uh, they, could, they could do that in half a day easily. And so they're beginning that journey there to Jerusalem. They're singing, they're praising, they're play, playing before the Lord. There's cymbals crashing, there's songs uh, being lifted up, there's joy. Okay, there, there's excitement. This is, this, is, this is a good thing that's going on. But things didn't work out the, day that, the way that David thought they would. What was a joyous occasion suddenly becomes a tragedy. What was a, uh, a excite, excitement suddenly becomes something that's terrifying. As they reached the threshing floor, that would have been a very hard area, maybe rock or something. The oxen, as they hit the different, uh, the different type of terrain or whatever it happens to be, they, they stumbled. They, be, they uh, shook their feet a little bit, and if you've ever been on any type of um, horse-drawn... Um, uh, mode of transportation um, back before they had springs and air and tires and that kind of thing. This, this wasn't a super comfortable ride. And as the oxen began to stumble, stumble that, that um, uh, cart began to shake and the, the um, Ark of the Covenant that was sitting there on top, a box that's made out of gold with the mercy seat, it's beginning to rock to and fro and out of Impulse, Uzzah reaches up and he grabs the Ark of the Covenant to steady it. He doesn't want it to fall. He's trying to protect the Ark of the Covenant. We would say this was impulse. 
that he was just reaching up and trying to do what he thought was best, trying to steady the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says that the anger of the Lord was kindled. God was furious with what took place. And the Bible says that God smote Uzzah, that he, uh, he gave judgment on Uzzah, and Uzzah died. There's a little bit of shaking, and the, the song is going on, and all of a sudden, they notice that Ohio isn't moving forward anymore. He's standing back just kind of looking. And all the kind of everything slowly begins to stop. And they look, and Uzzah's there lying on the ground, dead. Smitten by the hand of God. Now, those who had entered the Ark of the Covenant, uh, entered the tabernacle wrong before, even the priest, uh, Nabab and Abihu, fire had come out from before the Lord and consumed them. Is this what happened to Uzzah? We don't know. We just know that they knew this was the hand of God that had touched Uzzah, that had smitten Uzzah, and had killed him. The, the anger of the Lord, there was a breach, there was a breaking forth. The, the anger of the Lord had been uh, pent up, God had been seeing this, and then when that happened, God's anger came out, His holiness came out, and it touched Uzzah, and it killed him instantly. And the Bible says, David was displeased. The same word is, the anger of the Lord was kindled. David was upset. Now, is he upset with God? Is he upset with himself? We don't know exactly, but David's not happy. He's going, man, this messed, man, this wasn't supposed to happen. Why did this have to happen? You do something and David's angry about that. It also, he's also full of fear. He's, how are we ever going to get the Ark of the Covenant? If somebody's going to get killed every time we try to move it, we can't bring the Ark of the Covenant up to God. We, we want to seek after God, but this isn't going. David's upset. And some of us might be on David's side right now. Somebody might be on David's side going, what could possibly have been a big deal? They were trying to do what's right. They had the right motives. They had the right heart. They had the right desire. God, can't you cut them a little bit of a slack? I mean, God, you, you see they're trying to do what's right. They're not trying to desecrate the Ark of the Covenant. They're trying to, they're trying to do what's right. They're trying to seek after you, God. Why would you kill Uzzah. What could possibly be such a big deal? Well, the problem was not that God did not want to bless David. We see that in uh, verse number, the end of verse number 11 there, because the Bible says when they took the Ark of the Covenant aside into the house of Obed-Edom, that the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his house. And so over the next three months, as the Ark is sitting there undisturbed, God is visibly and supernaturally blessing the house of Obed-Edom. And so it's not that God says, what are you guys trying to do? I don't, I, I don't care about what you're... No, God wants to bless His people. He was excited that His people were seeking after Him. Right? God was not upset that David was seeking after the Ark of the Covenant. God was not upset that, uh, that they were trying to put God first. God was wanting to bless them. But see, God is also holy. And God had already made it clear in His Word how to approach the Ark of the Covenant. This wasn't a mystery. 
God, in the law of God, if we go to Exodus and we go to the book of Numbers, which David would have had access to, they would have been read at the feast, it would have been there as the king, he would have had access to the priest who had the scrolls, who had the law of God written down. Number one, no one was to touch the Ark of the Covenant. Not even the high priest. No one was to touch the Ark of the Covenant. Numbers 4.15 says, When Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary, so the priests were to go in if the tabernacle was to be moved and they were to take um, special coverings and they were to cover all the, all the special instruments. They were to cover the candlesticks. They were to cover the table of showbread. They were to cover especially the Ark of the Covenant. The sons of Kohath, that would be some of the Levites, were to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These are the burdens of the son of Kohath and the table of tabernacle of the congregation. So no one was to touch the holy things except the priest who laid the coverings over it. Okay? Number two, no one but the priest were to see the Ark of the Covenant. Even the holy things, but uh, the, only the high priest could even enter into that veil once, and that was filled with smoke. But the Bible says in Numbers chapter 4, verse number 19, Thus do unto them, or cover them, that they may live and not die when they approach unto the most holy things. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint every one to his service and to his burden, but they shall not go in and see when the holy things are covered, lest they die. Okay, this is written in the law of God. They weren't to touch it. They weren't to see it. And then number three, the sons of Kohath, um, verse, uh, number seven, nine, because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. Exodus chapter 25, they shall put staves into the rings by the sides of the ark that the ark may be borne with them, may be carried with them. God had made it clear, you're not to see it, you're not to touch it, and only the Levites can carry it. There was never supposed to be an ar- a-, a cart anywhere near the Ark of the Covenant. God had given instructions in His Word. It's supposed to be treated with care. It's supposed to be treated with holiness, with sacredness, and it's supposed to be carried by the Levites. He wanted to bless his people. The Bible says that um, Uzzah was smitten because of his error, because of his, we would say this way, maybe his mistake, his negligence. That's part of the idea of the word there. It wasn't that Uzzah was being a rebellious person, but he just didn't know what he was doing. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. And David recognized this. We didn't seek God after the due order. We're going to see that again next week. It's in 1 Chronicles chapter 15 when they go to get the ark. He said, uh, we, God made a breach upon us for we sought him not after the due order, the way that it was supposed to be. So where on earth did David get the idea of a cart? Is that a good question? Okay. Well, if we do a study through the Bible and we look at the ark of the covenant, there's only one other time it was carried on a cart. That was by the Philistines. When the Philistines had captured the ark and they took it into the land, of Is- uh, the land of the Philistines, they carried it to the house of their God. And if you want some interesting stories, read what God did to the gods of the Philistines. 
Their god Dagon fell over on his face in front of the Ark of the Covenant. So they came in and they set up their god really nice. And they, uh, Good God, you, you've defeated the God of Israel. And they came in the next morning. He was flat on his face again and his head was off and his hands were off. And they said, how is this happening? Our God is so powerful. And so they glued him back together. And they wouldn't step on the threshold where his head had gotten knocked off. But they said, we don't want the God of Israel here anymore. And so they began moving him around. And God began sending plagues on the, on the people, the Philistines, so much so. They said, get it out of here. Their, their God's trying to kill us all. And so they loaded it on a new cart. And they sent it back to the land of Israel. Uh, and um, trying to say, we don't want it, you take it. And they sent it back. Now, why on earth David would use the same idea as the Philistines, I have no clue. But it, to me, it seems like this. David really didn't think about it. He just went with what the common idea was. He didn't even realize all the Philistine influences that were in the culture around him. Maybe he asked some people, what do you think we should do? Well, let's get a new cart. Hey, that sounds like a great idea. Where on earth did this idea come from? I don't know, but it sounds like a really good idea and we can celebrate it and we can do it. Brother Gaddis put it this way, David was trying to lead Israel on the old paths with a new cart. And it didn't work out very well. David's decision was to just go with what he knew or what was common practice and it led to terrible consequences. See, David's attempt to return the Ark of the God, uh, return the Ark of God, bring it to Jerusalem, it brought terrible consequences. It brought God's judgment instead of God's blessings, because David used a new cart instead of seeking the old book. He used a new cart instead of seeking the old book, because God had already given instructions on how it was to be handled. By the way, we're going to come back and David's going to do things the right way and he's going to approach God the right way and God is going to bless in miraculous ways and God is going to give them uh, the blessings that he wanted to do. Can I just say this though as we, as we close tonight? Number one, we ought to have a desire to seek God. There should be a desire in our heart. I, I want the presence of God. I, I desire the blessings of God. I want God to be first in my life. I want God to be at the center of my life. I believe that's why you're here on a Wednesday night. I, I, I want to seek after God. I want to have God uh, teach me the way I need to go. I, I, want to, I want the blessings of God on my family. I want the blessings of God on this church. I want to see God work in, my, in miraculous ways. And can I tell you this, God, number two, God wants to bless you even more than you want the blessings of God. God has a will for your life and God wants to show himself mighty in your life and God wants to use your life for his glory, not just so you're comfortable, not just so you can have a better life. No, God wants to use your life for his glory and that's the greatest thing that could possibly happen to you. God wants to bless Community Baptist Church in ways so the whole world will think more of God and more of what He can do and will know more of the power of God. God wants to do that. He's made that clear in His Word. God wants to bless your family. God wants to bless your walk with the Lord. But we have to understand this. God is holy. 
And God will judge when we cross the line. We might say this, well, God knows my heart. I mean, I'm trying to do the right thing. I, I, I want to do what's right. Preacher, why do you have to make such a big deal about all that stuff? Why do you have to make such a big deal about doctrine? And why do you have to make such a big deal about church? And why do you have to make such... Because God is holy. And if we're going to seek after God, we have to make sure we're seeking the old book instead of following the influences of our culture. Instead of following the influences of just what's around us. One man said it this way, people... God's people tend to forget what sort of God they face. We forget that there is heat in His holiness. No, we do not need to be terrified, but being scared a little wouldn't hurt. He's the God of all creation. He's not our homeboy. He's not the man upstairs. He's not uh, just, oh, God understands. No, he understands so much he sent his son to die on the cross for sins. That's how much God understands. He knows every thought. He knows everything. And God has uh, given us in his word exactly what we need to know to be pleasing to God. That's why the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, what's faith? It's just having this wonderful emotional feeling. And that's, no, no. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. How do we live by faith? The just shall live by faith. Faith is believing God's word to the point of obedience. Okay? How do we please God by faith? We obey his word by faith. That's faith. Faith that's not, that does not lead to obeying God's word is not faith. It's not biblical faith. It's, it's, uh, it's faith in who God is that drives us to seek Him. We should be pursuing God. But our pursuit of God's presence will only bring judgment instead of blessings if we use current ideas or just what we're used to using instead of simply following the old book. Because God can't bless when we're seeking Him our way. God can't bless when we're seeking Him our way. God's not impressed with our enthusiasm. He's looking for obedience. God cannot be approached by the good plans and ideas of men. He can only be properly obeyed by what God has revealed in His Word. There are many ideas, very quickly, there are many ideas how to, how to seek the presence of God, how to serve God that come today from our culture. Okay, if you, want, if you want ideas on how to seek God, I would encourage you, don't go to the Christian bookstore. Okay, one of the most dangerous places for a, for a true Christian is to go to the Christian bookstore because there's going to be a lot of simple psychology that has nothing to do with God, that they just sprinkle some Christian words on top of it and make it sound good, all right? There's a lot of emphasis on results instead of faithfulness. But what is a steward judged on? Faithfulness, okay? There, in, in our society, there's a lot of events, a lot of emphasis on results. It really doesn't matter how you get there just so you get the results instead of faithfulness. There's a lot of emphasis on convenience instead of holiness, Oh, here's a, in our society today, there's a lot of emphasis on inclusive. I can't even say the word. Inclusiveness. Right? In, yeah. 
There's a, we all just need to get together. And very little emphasis on truth. But what does God care about? Now, He loves every person. But truth. There is a push as never before to compromise. But what has God told us to do? Hold fast the things. Don't give up the things. Hold on to sound doctrine. Hold fast the form of sound words. There are a lot of ways that we see things are done. There's a lot of ways we just get used to doing things. And if we're not careful, we can approach God with the way that we think best. This is not to question our motives. This is not to question our sincerity and say, you really don't want to please God. No, some people, uh, no, they can say, listen, I, I want to please God. I want to do what God is, uh, I want to have God's blessings. I want to challenge us with the truth of God's holiness, though. We have to seek God His way. When we try to serve God without seeking the book, we will not have God's blessings. Instead of joy, there's going to be confusion, anger, and fear. Didn't we see that in our text? What Joy turned to confusion, anger, and fear. You want to be discouraged? You want to be depressed? You want to be frustrated as a Christian? Just try to serve God your way. Good people will be hurt because of our decisions. A pastor decides he wants to do things his way instead of God's way. How many people find out there's not a church they can go to anymore? Think, okay, and things begin to change. Okay, good when people don't serve God, God's way, people get hurt. We can't enjoy God's presence the way that we should. That's why God has given us his word. He's given us everything that we need. It's right here. If we'll seek after God... There needs, there needs to be a biblical why for the reason that we're doing things. Why are we meeting on church on Wednesday nights? Well, every church is always... Um, there is some idea. Well, Wednesday nights is a traditional meeting of churches, a, mid, a good midweek service. My dad's church meets on Thursday night, okay, but a need of a midweek service, that's good, okay, but why are we here? Because the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but so much the more. We don't need to have less church. We need to have more church as the time. But why is the focus on preaching? Because God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that are lost. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. Why do we make an emphasis on the King James Bible? Because it's on the God has promised. He's preserved every word. And he's preserved the word of God. We don't need to uh, throw doubt on the word of God. That's something that Satan does. We need to just cling to the words of God. Why do we make a big deal about church? Because Jesus died for his church. He established his church. Why do, we, okay, why do we make a big deal about passing out door things and inviting people to church? Because God has commanded us we're to be witnesses to all people, to all creatures, to all nations. Okay, what, what we're doing, we need to make sure that we're seeking God, that we're obeying God his way. Because we can't have God's blessings if we just are, oh, that sounds like a good idea. No, match it up with the word of God. Should we do this? Here's a good question. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That's a good question that we need to have in our mind. You say, I don't know what the Bible says. Ask pastor. That's why I'm here. And I don't have the answer to everything. But by God's grace, I'll tell you, let me study that out for a little bit, and I'll get back to you. 
And there's some things we don't know, but, we, but if we don't know it, if God hasn't revealed it in his word, then we don't need to know it to follow him. Because God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. If we seek God's word, we'll have the proper way to follow God so that we can have God's blessings. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you tonight. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to know you, to serve you, to follow you. And we just pray that we would have your blessings here at Community Baptist Church. We would see you work in mighty ways. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll take a moment. If you need to pray there in your seat or uh, come forward, just let's do some business with the Lord tonight.